welcome to Feminine Founder. I'm Caroline Pennington, your host. Today I have Aaron Vincent joining me. I've known Aaron for a number of years now and had had the pleasure of working with her. Erin graduated from Temple University with a degree in Business Administration and Human Resources. She then continued on to receive her Master's in Human Resources Development from Villanova. And over the past decade, Erin has spent uh, her time in HR and many different capacities and currently serves as the Vice President of Global Business Services for Sunoco. So welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I'd love to hear your story about how you got into HR and then how you worked in the different capacities within HR over the past decade or so um, to end up finally being the vice president of business, global business services for a publicly traded company. Yeah, uh, thanks Caroline. Who, who would have thought? So I feel like I found HR somewhat by accident. So I initially went to school. I grew up, first of all, I grew up in a very rural community I didn't know any HR professionals. If you were a professional, you were more of like a lawyer or a doctor. It was a very like farming community. And so I went to school in the city, totally different environment. And thankful that I chose Temple because it had so much variety of things. I initially enrolled as a pre-pharmacy student. My mother was a nurse practitioner. She wanted nothing more than for one of us to end up in medicine. None of us have. Um, but that was my initial draw to Temple. and. After organic chemistry too, I learned that that was not going to work out for me long term. And so it was kind of scary at the time, um, reflecting back, because I think I was in the end of my sophomore year, was panicking, like, oh my goodness, did I just waste two years of my life? Very hard studying um, lots of science and calculus. And I went to the business school and was like, I feel like business is something I could apply my mind to. And it honestly felt like it would be maybe a little bit easier <laughs> academically. And I had a really great professor for an intro to HR class. It was one of those lectures. There's like 300 students and I don't know what it was about her, but she kind of wrapped her arms around me. She knew, I think I was a little lost and she's like, you've got to think about HR. You, it seems like you have great communication skills. And some of those things, and I was an RA at the time at Temple, which I had no clue would prepare me for a career in HR at the time. Uh, so I was like, okay, let's give this a try. I have no idea what else to do. And so um, that kind of was my segue into HR. And I still don't think I really knew what I was getting myself into. And then um, that led to me getting an internship that following summer. And I just kind of fell in love with it from there. Um, as my career progressed, I felt very fortunate, especially in hindsight now, to try a lot of different things in HR, uh, learn probably more about what I did not want to do in HR than what I did want to do. So I, I quickly learned that the comp and Ben area wasn't really my thing. I And I also learned I did not want to be in the employee relations side of things. And so I was super happy when I found my way to more of like an analytical position and started doing some stuff with systems and configuration and more of the operational side of HR. And that's really where I ended up, I think, finding my footing and my little niche within HR. I spent probably 10 years or so doing that at various different companies, um, which got me into the technology side of things a lot. Ended up really um, finding a passion for marrying people's needs with technology and driving some better ways of doing things for HR organizations and did a number of workday implementations, which is ultimately what brought me to Sunoco. 
Um, and then in that time started setting up shared service functions for HR because once you have the technology, there's so much more that you can do centrally. And I think that's what's led me to global business services, although the scope is so much further and wider than um, just the employee aspect of it. I think leading that scale of change and having the willingness to take on things that are not necessarily prescribed or, uh, you know, have been done before. I, I love new things. I'm a super creative person. So I think this is the perfect mix of a person who wants to do new things um, and also drive efficiency and kind of that more focused operational aspect of the functional areas in a business. I love that one professor changed the whole game for you. And the, the first two years of your undergraduate, you were focused on medicine and what a 180 to go from medicine to people. <laughs> yeah, it was a complete 180. And I still keep in touch with her to this day. She was just had a profound impact on me and many others. Um, and she's got a passion for it and she can sell a career in human resources to just about anybody, I think. I, I was going to ask you who kept in touch with her still. So that's awesome to hear that you did. Um, so what are you seeing in the market? What trends are you seeing in 2023? And how has that changed from 2022, pandemic, post-pandemic, and all the things? From what I can see, I don't know that it's changed drastically from last year to this year, but still kind of that post-pandemic era I think companies are still trying to figure out the right balance of the work at home hybrid flexibility model that's going to work best for their, you know, what appeases the leadership teams and what also gives a level of comfort from, you know, sustaining cultural um, aspects of the roles and then also being able to find and attract the right candidates. So the globalization of talent pools, I think, has had a huge impact on navigating career and career opportunity and navigating talent attraction for organizations. And I don't know that any of us were necessarily prepared for that. If I think about our experience here, I would have considered us already generally flexible um, with our work arrangements. We weren't a five days in the office company even before the pandemic. And so now there's so much focus on this. It's kind of, um, it can be quite exhaustive for organizations to navigate it and try to find that right balance. That looks totally different, I'm sure, from you being in corporate versus individuals, you know, actually working hands-on in the manufacturing facilities. And then you've got all the, you know, all the different departments that you guys have with all the different countries you're in. And I'm sure that looks very different for every single location. It, it really does. And I think that's why the balancing act is really the, the art of it. And, you know, power to any company who's who feels like they have figured it out perfectly and has everybody aligned. Because I think for manufacturing organizations like ours, you have to be really cognizant of the optics around the fact that the people who are really generating your revenue have to come to work every day, generally speaking. And that's really the backbone of your organization. And if they don't see you and have access to you and feel like you're doing something at least similar, there's there's some optics to manage there. We definitely felt that through the pandemic with some of the restrictions on coming to office. And I think we were anxious and more eager and aggressive to get people back to the office in comparison to some other industries. So I think, you know, there is no one size fits all. I think people try to get over prescriptive and you know when you think about the nuances of jobs 
organizations, industries, and people, flexibility is is the answer. Um, and I think people want to be able to put that into a policy and write it in you know black and white terms. And again, I, I, I hear way more people trying to figure it out than I hear people who feel like they've gotten it right. So I can tell you uh, from the recruiting agency standpoint, nobody has it figured out. So I love that you coined you know, flexibility being the highlight there because the more flexible I'm seeing employers be, the, the better they're able to attract top talent and the less flexible they're being, the opposite is true too. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, flipping it with the candidate lens as well, I've talked to many people who are navigating, trying to find new opportunities and, you know, the talent net is way wider, especially for remote positions. So if you're going after remote positions exclusively, you are putting yourself into a way wider um, net. So I think people have to find new ways to network and build those relationships to stand out. And it's kind of interesting to see how people are creatively doing that because you're now one of potentially hundreds of thousands of people, depending on the role in the organization. And, you know, when things were more geographically confined, that certainly wasn't the case. That's a great point to make because I think, you know, everyone wants their coins to fully remote job. But then when you think about how competitive those are, it's it, it definitely widens why is the pool big time? Yeah, it's interesting. I was just um, talking with a woman the other day who is a software developer and she can't get an interview. And I'm like, this is a this is a niche skill set that you hear, you you know, the world cannot find enough of them. But she wants a hundred percent remote role in a somewhat niche piece of software development. And I was just kind of blown away. She's been searching since January and hasn't found something. And so. That was something new that I that I had not heard before. That's wild. I would think that she'd have people lining up at her door because you're right. That is super super niche, and there's not that many of them out there. That's right. So um, it's just finding where to hunt, I guess. Mm-hmm. So what's worked for you for your team specifically when it comes to recruiting top talent? So our our organization is a little bit unique because we're. A, brand new team. So we're building everything from scratch. Uh, a lot of our opportunities we've been able to afford internally, which makes me really happy for something like this. Um, in the few scenarios where we've gone external, it's it's the flexibility piece. It's you know being very specific about what roles need to be here for good reason and being honest with ourselves about what roles can be successful elsewhere and kind of having that nuanced approach, um, not approaching it with a one-size-fits-all methodology, I think has been helpful for us. We've thankfully been able to fill the needs that we've had pretty quickly um, in the marketplace. And I think, you know, you have to have different strategies depending on whether you're looking locally or elsewhere. Um, One thing that I'm super cognizant about is we're a global team and I'd like to have a team that reflects that. And so, you know, doing searches in Europe, um, you know, is altogether different than here. And there's all kinds of nuances to remote work there that we're learning um, and educating ourselves on. But it, it's 
never easy and never fast enough. And, you know, having done recruiting and Caroline, you know, this better than everybody, you very seldomly have a hiring manager. And now I am one that says like, Oh, thank you. You did that so fast and so well. And I appreciate it. So just recognizing that now that I'm sitting on the other side of it. No, it's like you hand over the candidate on the silver platter, like, here you go. And they're like, Oh, thanks. I'm so glad you found the needle in the haystack. And you're like, you have no many hours I have talking to candidates to grind away to find these three people that match what you're looking for. So I'm constantly reminding our team of that, that we're not going to sacrifice quality for timing. Um, Speed is not our friend in many of the things that we're doing, recruiting included. So it's really a patience exercise. And I I will admit, I am not the most patient person. So I have to constantly remind myself of that too. So you're building a new team. You're recruiting in the U.S. and overseas what's been working for you it sounds like you've made a lot of internal hires and uh, which is great i know sunoco is well known for that and i think that's amazing um but what's as you're teaching building on this new department and teaching these individuals these new skills what are you doing to help with retention there yeah i think that is really i know when i was sitting in talent in my former role, that was always my focus was getting people to focus less on the retraction piece and more on the retention piece. Thankfully, retention hasn't been a challenge for us. And I think because we're something new, people are kind of curious and that curiosity keeps people around. Not to say I don't think it will it will become an issue here in the next 12 months. But um, for us, one thing on the attraction side of things, and this is, I would tell anyone this that's recruiting, especially for niche skill set roles, the perfect candidate is not what it's going to take to be successful in that role. And so constantly telling people you might have a skill gap somewhere in your competencies, but being willing to, you know, balance that out with the fact that they check four or five of the six or seven boxes and being willing to give a person a chance. I know I would want that chance. And I certainly don't feel like to do the role that I'm in now, I can check every single box of what a perfect candidate would have looked like. Uh, And so constantly telling the leaders in my team to be more open-minded, you know, your career path does not define the only success criteria for a successful candidate, Uh, making sure that we're really open-minded about what are the actual skills. And there could be many different jobs and career history that could afford someone those skills to be successful. That, I think, is a challenge for a lot of people um, to think more creatively around how to get the right person into the role and be less job focused and more skill set focused. Certainly, you know, I think comes easy for some of us, especially those of us that have worked in this recruiting space, but it is not necessarily intuitive for for everyone and and requires a good bit of convincing in some cases. So we've had we've had lots of that dialogue. Um, From a retention perspective, to me, it's all about impact and opportunity. So I think for especially your high performers, who's that that's always who I'm focused on retaining, you you need to be able to show them where they're going to make an impact, where they might get exposure that they haven't gotten in the past, where they may learn something new. um, What are those opportunities and be as clear as you can be about those things, even when it is not necessarily crystal clear since we're a brand new department. I can't tell anyone what things will look like to to any degree of comfort in 12 months from now. And so it's kind of finding the things that you're pretty certain about and being able to 
to create a compelling story for people in, in those spaces. You're right. High performers, they will impact an opportunity and they want to know exactly the timeline that looks like, like what is 30 days, 60 days, 90 days look like. And if you come back to them and say, I don't know, or the answer is not changed or the actions have not changed in 90 days, they'll leave. Yeah. And we've been pretty, pretty, um, buttoned up and how we're managing that. So we have obviously stakeholder analysis and we have a whole separate way that we're managing communications and engagement with our high performers. And I think, you know, this, that level of diligence doesn't necessarily come into play when you're in a steady state environment and you are in a brand new department and you aren't starting from scratch. So it's kind of interesting. I've, I've definitely learned some things that I think I will now do regardless of whether I'm running a, a brand new org or managing one that's been around for a while. Cause I think you do need to be very intentional with your, your high performer, high potential engagement. And I don't always see people understand the level of effort that takes. And to your point, timing is a big, a big thing. And I know, you know, in my career, um, there was definitely a large portion of time where you could have never gone fast enough. Um, so just having that, viewpoint I think is important. And I love that you touched on the skills-based hiring too, because I think a lot of times department managers, they get really stuck and like they have to check all the boxes and you're like, okay, if we're at 70%, this person, if they're intelligent and willing to learn, then they can learn the software or they can learn, you know, X, Y, Z, they're going to have to be taught it and you're going to have to take time out of your day to do it, but they're capable of it. Uh, the capability piece is, is what I think is so important. And it's also being realistic that, you know, people who are self-taught in many other aspects of their life, there's so many resources out there where it may not even require a huge investment of time for you. But I think we kind of overemphasize that piece like, well, we want to get people up to speed quickly. And I think we underestimate how quickly some people can do that just with what's available on the internet and available on, I mean, my gosh, I teach myself things all the time using YouTube. My six-year-olds teach themselves how to do things on YouTube. So the, the pace of learning has, you know, far exceeded what I think we sometimes give it credit for. Definitely. And the new skills that ties into the impact of the opportunity piece of what you mentioned on the backside, because if people are given the opportunity, they're more invested, they're using their brains more, they're learning new skills, they feel like they're more valued. It just is a whole ripple effect. For sure. Well, thank you for your time today. As we wrap up, how can our listeners find you? I think the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. So I think Caroline will link that and I'm happy to engage there. All right, I'll put your link in the show notes and I appreciate it. Great, Caroline, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks.